Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Erica and I will be discussing the second astrological house. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're your hosts, the Mystic Sisters, Erica and Maggie. In this segment of the show, we choose a tarot card for the week and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. For this episode, though, we are going to choose a rune called Othila, which translates as inheritance and generally represents heritage, tradition, and ancestry. Othala is the last rune in the Elder Futhark, and it represents what you enter the world with based on the family you are born with and raised by. These are both physical inheritances of land or other physical property, but it also includes the traits and characteristics you inherit from your family. No matter how you resemble or differ from the rest of your family, and no matter how far from home you travel or how independently you have established yourself, you carry traits, beliefs, habits, and influences from your original family for better or for worse. Othila is associated with wealth, as Erica mentioned. But when compared to Fehu, the first rune of the Elder Futhark, you can see that there are some differences. So Fehu means movable wealth, things like cattle that can be sold or traded for some other useful good. Othila, on the other hand, is more associated with wealth in the form of land, things that can't really be traded or sold. And this comes from a tradition in Scandinavia where the runes originate from, which is that family land can't be sold and it is instead passed down from one generation to the next. So this practice created a very strong community tie to the area and kept those cultural traditions in place. And those ties are represented in the shape of Othila. Now, Othila is also thought to represent the tension that can be found between balancing your inherited traditions and your current approach to life that has developed along your path. It is this rune of maintaining the status quo simply because this is the way things have always been done. As the world changes around you and you change within it, you will need to discover what is worth holding on to from your family and what you need to release so that you can live your best life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So, Erica, do you have a story about any of these themes that are associated with Othila, such as inheritance, ancestry, or heritage? Do I have lots of stories? Same. Same. <laughs> Sometimes we're struggling to come up with stories, but I feel like our family unit has always been very strong and very much relying on tradition and heritage and inheritance stuff like our grandma started giving us things away early on because she wanted to see us enjoying our inheritance instead of not getting to see that there's there's always been a very strong tie for me with those traditions but I think that I want to talk about the more abstract representation and the like family traits that are passed on um, because our grandmother was an avid sewer and 
crafty person. And that has become a sense of my identity as well. And I'm currently in the middle of making a Zelda cosplay um, in anticipation of the release of the Tears of the Kingdom game that's coming out this summer. When I'm sewing, it's one of the times where I feel closest to my grandma. And I am using her old sewing machine. And there's a bittersweetness of... I wish I could ask her questions. I, you know, like I wish that I could show her what I was doing, but also knowing that because I inherited her sewing machine, she, there is a part of her there with me because of the sewing machine and because of those traits that I picked up for her. I also picked up a love of baking and cooking from her, that love of baking and being in the kitchen and sharing my love through the things that I cook definitely came from her as well. I love that. I will share about my rock collection (laughs) (laughs) because I have a rock garden at our house and I was just looking at them because as I've mentioned on the podcast before, my husband and I are moving and I was trying to remember which rocks were already in the rock garden when we bought the house and which ones were special ones that I added And I was looking at them and and remembering where I got them. And I realized that I have a collection of rocks from both grandpas on both sides of of my parents, my parents' dads, mom and dad's dads. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) There's like way too many words to describe who these people are. From dad's dad and mom's dad, they both were very interested in rocks. Poppy, mom's dad, was a geology teacher. And he used to go on walks around their neighborhood after he retired, well, before he retired, but then after was kind of, he'd be able to go on much longer walks. And on every walk he went on, he would collect a rock that he thought was interesting. And since he was a geologist, he knew a lot about like what kinds of rocks they are. And he knew where to look for specific rocks that he wanted to collect. And he'd bring them home and put them in his rock garden. And then when he passed away and they were selling their house, I told my mom the specific rocks that I wanted and she put them aside for me and sent them. And then dad's dad, who we didn't have a name for because I actually didn't ever meet him, but he was a lapidary, I think is what you call it. Is that right? Do you know? I'm going to look at him. Lapidary. Yeah, you can call a person a lapidary. Okay. (laughs) So he was a lapidary, which the dictionary says that that is relating to stones and gems and the work involved in engraving, cutting, or polishing them. He did that and he had a whole bunch of rocks that he did this with and dad has a lot of fond memories because this was a hobby that his dad picked up when he was retired and when dad was like the only kid still at the house. So he he felt like that was a connection that he really had with his dad. And so then when this summer or maybe last summer, I don't know, time is meaningless. (laughs) We went to Uncle John's house and he had all the collection and all the aunts and uncles and all the cousins on that side of the family went through the rock collection and were able to pick out some special pieces from that collection. Long story short, I have special rocks from both of my grandpas who both 
really enjoyed that hobby. I think that's really cool. And we were talking earlier during book club, Erica and I with our mom, about how when you when people own things, their energy goes into that thing, especially if you own it for a long time. I think that's also part of the meaning of this rune. It like goes beyond the thing. It's like that thing also is a part of the person or that person becomes part of that thing. And then that gets passed down. So you, it's like a material object that you can use to remember that person more easily when you look at it. Shall we move on to our main topic for the week? Sure. Just as there are 12 zodiac signs, there are 12 astrological houses. So when you look at a horoscope or an astrology map, you will see a wheel of the zodiac signs and a wheel of the astrological houses. So the zodiac signs are fixed to a specific date each year, and the houses are fixed to a time in the day. And specifically, the first house is placed on the horizon at the time that you are looking at. And the other houses follow along behind uh, around the earth in a circle with the 12th house ending where the first house began. And each of the 12 houses in astrology represents a different area of life. They set the stage for the actors or the planets to play the roles assigned to them by the zodiac signs. So we are talking about the second astrological house today. And this house is associated with Taurus. As we're in Taurus season, it makes sense that we're talking about it. And because of that, it is also associated with security in the form of material matters, such as possessions and money, and emotional matters such as self-worth and self-confidence. In terms of finances, the position of the planets and signs in the second house can provide insight into your ability to acquire wealth, resources, and security through the diligent application of effort and knowledge. It can also reveal the gifts that will help you and the obstacles you might face as you strive for financial success. In order to reach the state of wealth security that you desire, your second house can help you understand the way that you invest your time and energy and how you manage your resources effectively so that you can understand the gifts and obstacles that await you. And in terms of the emotional security, this house also speaks to your personal values, the way that you value different things. For example, your sense of worth and your self-esteem are things that you place value on the way that you value yourself. And in this way, it can also indicate your social interactions and how you rate yourself when you compare yourself with other people, or if you even do this, depending on its position. So these things reveal your capacity for creating a secure foundation in your self-confidence and in your relationship with other people. And now a word from our sponsor. Come one, come all to explore the stunning beauty of Sedona, Arizona. Surrounded by majestic red rock formations and sacred spiritual vortex sites, the southwestern desert oasis is a must-see destination for witches looking to get away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life and expand their metaphysical knowledge and power. Visit the famous Cathedral Rock, or Bell Rock, where you can access powerful energy fields and perform rituals. Take part in an array of spiritual activities such as crystal healing, tarot readings, shamanic ceremonies, and more. While you're here, take in the breathtaking views of the surrounding national parks and visit the vibrant art galleries, boutiques, and restaurants for an unforgettable experience. So what are you waiting for? Come to Sedona to be enchanted by its natural and mystical beauty and power. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. 
we're talking about the second house and we're sharing what it means for each of the planets or celestial bodies to be placed in the second house in your natal chart. Will you start with the sun, Erica? When the sun is in your second house, the sun, as you remember, represents self-expression, the ego, and creativity. So having it in this position signifies a powerful sense of personal value and a strong belief in making an impact on the world. So people born with the sun in this house are likely to be proud of their accomplishments and be motivated by praise and adoration. You may also find your sense of self-worth is influenced by the way others perceive you. It could be helpful to learn how to separate your self-confidence from the praise you receive from others. As for the moon, which represents your needs, desires, your intuition, and what comforts you, it sort of contrasts the sun. If the moon is in your second house, you are more likely to find self-confidence through deep self-reflection and evaluation. It's not really that you don't care about what other people think of you, but it's much less of a factor when it comes to evaluating your self-worth. And as for your finances, you tend to be pretty creative about you, how you earn money, and you might be more intuitive about investments. And this is the position of the moon in my natal chart, it is in the second house, and I do relate to this. In order to feel confident in myself, I do feel like I have to reflect a lot and kind of weigh what is worth valuing in myself. And I think I do that with things as well. It takes me a long time to let go of things because I attach so much sentimental value to everything that passes through my hands. It could result in some sort of like hoarder tendencies if this is your moon because it's hard to let go of things because you feel like you have to do some reflection with everything that you're trying to let go of. If Mercury is in the second house, Mercury is the planet of communication and curiosity, thought processes, and what you like to talk and learn about. So this placement is synonymous with diversifying your assets. If you have Mercury in the second house, you likely have multiple sources of income that change regularly. And you also likely have a good understanding of how money is moving in your life and are good with budgeting and being resourceful, but you can just as easily lose interest and become careless and impractical. So your sense of self-worth is very logical. Venus is the planet of romance, fashion sense, what brings you pleasure, and what you will spend money on. If Venus is in your second house, your self-worth will be dependent on your financial stability and the possessions you surround yourself with. You likely spend money on clothes and jewelry and interior decorating, but you're also a good bargain hunter who loves to haggle for the best price in order to accommodate this luxurious taste. Mars is the planet of your instincts, your turn-ons, the things you lust over, what drives you and your motivations, and uh, what you'll fight for and about. So if Mars is in your second house, you like a little competition when it comes to earning money, and you may be a gambler or a risky investor. You tend to have a strong drive to reach your financial goals, and you don't stop until you get there. So in terms of your self-worth, you are more likely to do things that make you feel good about yourself. Jupiter is the planet of luck, inspiration, adventure, risk-taking, and what you like to learn about. For those with Jupiter in the second house, making money seems to come naturally. The truth is that those with those pos this position are simply 
always on the lookout for opportunities for wealth. Because money seems to come easily to these people, you are also probably very generous with what you have because you know that there's always more where that came from and you feel that wealth is better shared anyway. Second house Jupiter people value their self-worth with how generous they can be because the more you share, the better you feel about yourself. Saturn is the planet of time, caution, challenges, and struggles, your boundaries, and what you need to learn the hard way. So those with Saturn in the second house know that earning money is done slowly through long-term investments, compounding interest rates, continued education, and just good old-fashioned hard work. If this is your position, you're likely base your self-esteem and what you deserve on how hard you've worked for it and whether or not you've learned a lesson. Uranus, the planet of innovation, originality, idealism, and where you're a rebel and a revolutionary. If Uranus is in your second house, you likely achieve financial security in an unusual way, or you have an unconventional belief about what financial security even means. This also applies to how you see yourself. Your value is based more on your originality than anything else. Neptune is our fantasy planet. It's about dreams and subconscious. It's about glamour. It's about healing and and the things that you imagine. With Neptune in the second house, you are likely to see the big picture surrounding the flow of money. Financial security comes to you almost in a spiritual way. Uh, You might be very intuitive and like to think outside the box when you're looking for ways to earn money, and your self-worth is generally tied to your spiritual growth. When you feel spiritually evolved, then you feel more confident about yourself and your abilities. And finally, Pluto, the planet of secrets, transformation, evolution, the unconscious power and power struggles. So when Pluto is in your second house, people tend to have a deep and complex understanding of finances and resources, both on a personal level and in terms of the collective. Money and financial security plays a transformative role for people with this position. You might find that you feel more self-confident when you're in a position of power over people. You also may use secrets and gossip as a form of power. And for those of you who are going, wait, I don't have a planet in my second house. It's okay. It doesn't mean you have no self-esteem or financial security. It just means that these things are not a great focus in your life, which is like me. So additionally, all of the houses have an associated zodiac sign that overlaps with it, which you can see on your natal chart. So the ruling planet of that sign can be considered in your second house. So to start us off, Aries is going to be similar to what we talked about with Mars. So these people like competition. They might be gamblers or risky investors. They are the ones that have that strong drive to get to their financial goals and they don't stop until they get there. Their self-worth is driven by doing things that make them feel good about themselves. If the second house and Taurus overlap, this is going to have a similar effect as if Venus was in the second house, but specifically the side of Venus that is focused on comfort and security, because Venus rules over two signs, (laughs) a person with this position is going to feel very secure when they're surrounded by the things that, you know, make them feel luxurious and spend money on those kinds of things, the bargain hunter, all of that kind of stuff. If Gemini overlaps your second house, which is me, then you're going to take on the 
traits of a Mercury related to curiosity and communication. These people are the ones that change how they get their income more on a regular uh, basis. They are more willing to talk about financial matters. At least from my perspective, I'm not actually very good at money. I do change jobs frequently, and I always dream about having multiple sources of income. So I can see that those kind of traits coming in, but I've never actually achieved it. But I also have no qualms talking about what my paycheck is or where money is coming from. I do get triggered at sometimes talking about money when I don't have it. And so I think that that kind of becoming careless and impractical with money kind of is reflected in me in that way. But I don't know, like we said, or I said, if you don't have a planet in your house, it's not a big part of your personality. And so I'm I'm struggling to kind of see how this ties into me because it's not, I like money is what it is. And if I have it, I have it. And if I don't, I don't, and I figure it out. So maybe that's some Mercury logic coming in. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For cancer, this is going to be similar to the moon, which as we talked about is a person who is very like intuitive about investments. They value themselves and things in general with like a deep reflection on it. There's a lot of thought put into how they value things. If Leo is in your second house, then you're going to take on the traits of the sun. So these are the people that are very proud of their accomplishments and they're motivated by praise and adoration that can impact their self-worth. So it's really important to figure out if your confidence is your confidence in yourself or if it's coming from the people who have given you praise. Then we have the other side of Mercury in Virgo, which is all about logic and organization. So for that, it's going to be similar if, like like I said, the logical side of Mercury is there, which means somebody who's very like practical in how they're investing. They're very good with budgeting and making a plan and being resourceful about it. And the same with their sense of self. It's very logical. There's not much emotion attached to it. It's just like, here are the facts about me and here's what's good and here's what's bad. And that's that. <laughs> if you have Libra in the second house, then you'll take the traits of Venus that relate to love and beauty. And so these are people who like to spend their money on the things that are beautiful and things that make them look like they have wealth. They're self-worth is then related up to how people love them and how they express their love. Scorpio in the second house is similar to Pluto in the second house. And I also have Pluto in my second house, which I didn't mention before also, but apparently I'm a power hungry, gossipy, secret monger, (laughs) which actually isn't too far off. (laughs) So anyway, so this is the person who, you know, money is very transformative, they very complex understanding of the role of money in the world and finances, like the collective big, big picture of it all. If you have Sagittarius in your second house, you'll take on the traits of Jupiter, 
which is the generous spirit when it comes to wealth. They they like to give away their wealth because they know more is coming. And the more they share, the better they feel about themselves. Capricorn in the second house is similar to Saturn in the second house. The person who believes in hard work, puts in the effort, long-term investments, compounding interest, all the tried and true methods of earning money. And additionally, the tried and true methods of building self-esteem. This is like the um, hard work builds character type person. Aquarius will take on the traits of Uranus. Again, this is about being a rebel. So they're going to try and find financial security in unusual ways, in new and untried ways. It's it's much the opposite of Saturn. They have unconventional thoughts about what finances and what financial security looks like and what it means and how to achieve it. And they value their originality. It's interesting saying that Uranus is the opposite of Saturn because I always did find it weird that Saturn ruled over Aquarius before Uranus ruled over Aquarius because they don't, to me, they don't really fit. And it makes much more sense for Uranus too, because they are very, very different. All right. And then the last one is Pisces in the second house is very similar to Neptune. Again, this is the fantastical planet. So the same thing with the sign. Pisces is the dreamy, intuitive sign. So this is a person who has their spiritual growth is very much tied to their self-worth, self-esteem, and also the way that that person makes money and sees money. Money becomes sort almost like a spiritual thing rather than like a concrete thing. It's an abstract spiritual idea. This episode is brought to you by Emerald. Emerald is green in color. It would be weird if it wasn't. It is a small bright gemstone or larger cloudy crystal. Gem quality is expensive, but unpolished emerald is readily available. And it is sourced in India, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Brazil, Egypt, and Austria. Emerald is a passive stone that corresponds with Earth and fire, as well as Venus and Mars and Taurus and Aries. It is most used for witchcraft, for prosperity magic, for hope magic, and for healing. But there's a long list of things that it is associated with. Psychic awareness, tranquility, peace, divination, love and friendship, protection, and understanding. So you could use emerald in witchcraft by meditating with the stone and visualizing prosperous energy charging the stone. And then you could place that charged stone near a window or door to invite abundance into your home. You could do this process with any of the uh, potential uses for emerald as well. That's just one example. But you could also use emerald for a love spell, maybe with a love satchel with other um, love materials and Use it to attract a soulmate or to strengthen an, an existing relationship. But any way that you would use a crystal for witchcraft, whether it's a candle spell, a spell bag, or anything else, you could use emerald in that way for any of these magical uses. So next week, we will be looking at our lives through the lens of the tarot card temperance. Temperance is a card that is all about self-control, compromise, moderation, and virtue. It's all about harmony and understanding. It's the idea of moderation in everything, healing energy, all sorts of things. So we'll be looking at those themes and more 
when we come back. If you have a story about temperance that you would like to share with us, please send us a voicemail to welisten at talkwitchcraft.com. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 086. Join us next week when we talk about Venus Aphrodite and Frigg Freya. Make sure that you subscribe so that you're notified about each new episode. And to help other witches find this show, please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at mumblesandthings. And if you have any other tips to add, tell us about it in the Talk Witchcraft Forum in the Mumbles Academy community. And don't forget to share this episode with your witchy friends and followers. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.